0: Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication.
1: Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thank you for joining me. Today, my guest is Dr. Janine Mohammed, who is a proud Narunga Ghana woman from Point Pierce in South Australia, who has dedicated her career to the indigenous health sectors through roles in nursing, management, workforce, and health policy in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health sector for over 20 years. Throughout her career, she has chosen roles which have continuously demonstrated her deep commitment to developing the Indigenous health workforce and the Aboriginal community-controlled health sector. From 2001 to 2007, she worked for the Aboriginal Home Care Program with her elders and then the Aboriginal Health Council of South Australia. Following this, she also worked for the National Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, NACHO, from 2007 to 2013. Her career goes on, but internationally, Janine has been a delegate at the UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues. On two occasions. In 2018, Dr. Muhammad was elected chair of the National Health Leadership Forum representing peak Indigenous health groups, and she has been awarded the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Individual Award at the ACT Health NADOC Awards and Atlantic Fellows for Social Equity Fellowship in 2019 and she has an honorary doctorate from the Edith Cowan University in 2020. She joins me now but before we speak to Janine, I would like to pay my respects to the elders of the land on which I broadcast from today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past present and future, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution of our local community. And Janine, on which lands do we find you today?
0: Hi, David. I'm on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present, and of course, to future emerging generations. Thanks for having me.
1: So it's a wonderful commitment of public service to Indigenous health. Tell us the story. When When did you first start to think about the contribution you wanted to make in this field?
0: Um, Well, I think it began quite early on in my life uh, where I had uh, you know, our family that I lived with uh, that initially was on a mission in South Australia and then we moved to the township and we moved there um, because my nana, who raised me, um, wasn't well. And so, you know, she, I had an overexposure, if you like, to the health system and saw, you know, the great service that she received in that health system, but also um, the deplorable service that she received. Um, so, uh, you know, at a young age, I suppose I was interested in sciences um, and interested interested in Contributing um, to, you know, uh, a better experience of the health system for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Um, And, you know, I thought it was going to be a quick, easy, um, you know, job in my local hospital, but of course then systems change and I actually had to leave my community and study nursing in the big smoke (laughs) in Adelaide. Um, So, you know, that quickly made me very independent um, and very unsheltered. Um, I began nursing and, you know, experienced uh, what lots of Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander nurses' uh, stories contain, you know, stories of, of racism, inequity. Um, so I quickly, um, you know, felt that um, I wanted to change systems um, and that meant that uh, I had to take myself and, and the Toolkit, if you like, that I had um, to, to, you know, state level and then a national and eventually an international level. Um, and I hope along the way, um, I've had, uh, you know, a, a positive impact.
1: Well, I can guarantee you, you've done that. You've achieved an enormous amount. But before we go into that in a little bit more detail and to understand your uh, your approach to communication because i I'm very interested in that, but if you could yeah. perhaps dwell a moment if I could take you back to those moments of of racism when you were coming through the system, mm. what sort of things happened, and how did it make you feel
0: um I suppose, you know, one of the the very obvious ones, and we still see it now, uh, where people assumed what Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander peoples looked like. (laughs) Um, So, you know, in asking that question, are you Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander, Um, people wouldn't ask if people didn't look Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander and of course there's no set rules on what an Aboriginal person looks like so you know um, people were carrying biases around that and of course not wanting to ask the question as well and yet as nurses and um, health professionals we ask lots of you know really private questions (laughs) like when did you last open your bowels you know what religion are you so what was it you know that made people feel that they couldn't ask that question and often when I interrogate that with my colleagues, it was actually this um, notion that it, it wasn't a good thing to be identified as Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander. And I felt so proud of my culture. Um, and you know, when when you unpack that with people, they begin to learn that they've learned some things in society that come through um, unconsciously in some of the most basic things uh, that we have to do as healthcare professionals. And of course, we see that um, in healthcare outcomes now, you know, lower transplant uh, availability, downgraded care pathways. So, um, yeah, those were the some of the things that I saw that I, I suppose I really wanted to enlighten people about and really share with them how they can unpack their biases and and change their assumptions and their beliefs and therefore, you know, offer people a better practice.
1: So did you grow a resilience through that, that, that experience? Because I imagine that would have been quite hurtful in in many ways when people were denying you the pride that you obviously felt and was a, you know, how it was, how you felt about who you were and what you were doing. But then that feeling was denied to you.
0: Um, I think, you know, in, 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 In gathering resilience, what I had to do, and I think what a lot of Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander peoples feel, is um, the the ability to be able to have the conversation in a a safe way with someone and also to be able to find the language around this stuff, right? (laughs) So even for, for most of us in Australia what is the definition of racism you know how do we identify it how do we talk about it um so back then you know racism wasn't even discussed you know it was discrimination or they didn't really mean that so um what I found was I had to find um a resilience against it I had to have time out from it as well um because doing this work um you know, there's lots of microaggressions we um, feel every day as Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander peoples. And so sometimes I just had to step away from the work because the work itself, um, you know, can um, affect your health. Um, so the biggest resilience I had, and I do a lot of talking now about the cultural determinants of health, was being strong in my identity um, because it's quite easy to, you know, um, and... This is just my story. I'm I'm not making every Aboriginal person's story, but it was um, my strength was in my identity and going back to country and reaffirming, um, you know, who I am in that and also to find allies in this work. So some great non-Indigenous people walk alongside me. Um, I'm sure, you know, other people listening to this will understand when, you know, I say Professions talk to other professions. So doctors talk to doctors, nurses talk to nurses. Um, So when it's an Aboriginal person talking about this all the time, you know, you can see the self-investment. But when non-Indigenous people talk to other non-Indigenous people about this work, it's very powerful because they've got no interest in it other than an equitable society. Um, And they can also talk about their own journey in this space and um, how other people can move from where they are are currently um, to where they hope to be. So that's kind of been, yeah, my formula, you know, the cultural determinants, finding good allies and having time out (laughs) and finding the language around racism. Yeah.
1: And are things improving?
0: Um, Look, I think, uh, you know, there's casual racism still out there, um, you know, and people, um, you know, as a society, um, I think... Before, uh, it improves we we actually have to have some hard discussions so and I think we're beginning to have those hard conversations in Australia um we're being forced to by the rest of the world i.e. issues like Black Lives Matter and so you know when you're open wounds um you know, some trauma is going to come from that but there's there's healing in truth telling um and so I think we're in a, at a in a time where we're having those hard conversations so I, I I can't say that they're improving, but we' we're, we're along the journey to to where we need to get to mm.
1: My concern, and I'm sure you share the concern is that you know there is these moments like the black lives matter movement and mm. and, and and everything that goes around that that raises that awareness that, that mm. there's a spike and then everyone gets really enthusiastic for. Yeah. A day, yeah, and then you know <laughs> the football's back on, and they go, Oh, yeah, I'll worry about that later. Yeah, actually, that meant something to me, but I they don't stick with it. So, how do, how, how do we tag it to people in such a way that we can, you know, grab that initial enthusiasm? Because I believe strongly that people do want to do it, but oh, it yeah. just, just revert to type and get busy, and yeah, you know, we, we move on.
0: It's a big question to ask because it's a multi-pronged approach, right? There's no silver bullet to this stuff. I talk a lot about cultural safety um, and and cultural safety is a concept about lifelong learning and lifelong (laughs) self-reflection, It's continuous quality improvement, right? So one piece of, the, of work that I did um, and I think it's about everyone making an individual contribution but it's actually about systems change and it's about planned systems change um, that we can measure, you know. Um, and so for me I did some work in embedding uh, this concept called cultural safety into the nursing and midwifery codes of conduct um, and into the course content of nurses and midwives so um, for me it was about there are so many people out there with good intentions but we need a system that supports that um and when those good people leave that um that the system doesn't change that the next person in can go go in and build upon that great work that that's that person has done so um that's my, you know, approach. I suppose to how we don't um, let it be a, a splash in the pan, if you like, in in the Australian consciousness. Yeah.
1: So listen, you have, as I outlined in the introduction, mm-hmm. you know, quite a remarkable and distinguished career, both mm-hmm. you know here in Australia uh, and and overseas. And communication is obviously a key part of. Any successful leader. So, if you reflect then on your work when you were the chief executive officer of the Congress of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Nurses and Midwives, how did you go about shaping and framing and improving your communication um, with you, not just with your team, but also with your stakeholders? What were the what What are the magic ingredients for you for uh, to achieve effective communication
0: um magic ingredients i think probably one of the things for me was meeting people where they were at so really spending time with people understanding what they knew um and you know exploring things that they didn't know so getting everyone who were leaders and i had you know that um that Great opportunity to, to talk and uh, work with some great nursing leaders that um, we're all on the same page I suppose um, you know and and one of the places that we start started was um, intergenerational um, legacy that we'd all inherited not just Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Australia but non-Indigenous Australia as well and we talked about actually our profession and what was the historical truth telling about our profession, so you know I shared with them my experience of uh, my first year at nursing there was no There was no content around you know indigenous nurses or midwives in my first year of nursing, and yet I'm sure when the first fleet came, there were <laughs> um you know aboriginal men and women who were practicing medicine yeah. um, and assisting in childbirth as well. Um, So, you know, why couldn't that be a part of truth telling? There was also, you know, um, a history of medical experimentation on Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Australians. And health professionals were implicated in that. So what did that mean, you know, for us here and now? What had we inherited? What was the legacy? Who was included in those systems and who was, who was excluded? And what were the benefits for both of those groups? So those were some of the, you know, deep, daring conversations that we had. But, you know, I was pretty privileged that I worked with a group of people that were ready to have those conversations, and um, of course, nursing are, are a you know group of people that care for people, so they want to be seen, and they want to, um, you know, be uh, be giving offering kindness, kindness, but also equity. Um, and we discussed equity. It was you know people said, oh, but I treat everyone the same. <laughs> Of course, you know, that doesn't equal equity. Equity means, you know, meeting people where they're at, understanding that people have different needs um, and, you know, offering people solutions to their needs. Um, That's not being, uh, not offering cookie-cutter health approaches because um, that doesn't mean that we're going to get the same outcome for everyone. It's 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 a fascinating
1: task, and I think you know between the indigenous and non-indigenous, and I've recently begun a you know my reconciliation journey in a substantive way with Yarn Australia, and we I had a session um, as part of this um, discussion, and there's lots of insights and that you get from self-reflection, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: one one of the, one of the key things that I've taken from. Um, some of these first sessions and discussions I've been having with Warren Roberts from Yarn Australia is this sense of you know the con- contrast between Indigenous and non-Indigenous and, and Indigenous you know to take the time as you say to discover and to be curious um, mm-hmm. to to find where people are mm-hmm. you know and to just you know be comfortable taking the time to genuinely find where people are and not to be in such a you know a crushing rush to. You know, solve, 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 move, 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 you know, come on, let's go. You know, we've got to sort of get on and we've got to make progress and we've got to do things and we know better. And it's, how how did you manage that timing sense and how, how were you able to slow people down long enough to be able to open up through these conversations, which is, as you, you know, quite articulately put it, to really get people you know comfortable in being able to share and and to be curious and to be then ultimately clear and then to be able to move forward as 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 a team
0: i suppose that was you know it's another comms kind of uh question was to listen to people's narrative to their story and find commonality you know um so nurses were very we we are as a as a group of professionals into exactly what you just said david reflection um, it really is about being critically reflective of self and self-improvement. So, um, you know, the notion of them knowing themselves, what their biases were, both conscious and, and unconscious, um, was uh, something that I could use, that I could work with and that, you know, was common ground for us. So I think, and there were a whole heap of events that were, you know, that really assisted um that piece of work um, that was happening in the Australian um, narrative if you like you know we had um, the the scenario of Adam Goods you know which was hot on the agenda and really you know um, gave the Australian public something to talk about in this space, be good mm. or bad, you know. At least people were talking about it. Um, we had racism named in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health Plan for the first time, so there was this impetus that we could actually go where no one had gone before <laughs> in the professions. And you know, the fact that um, we agreed we wanted to be brave and and step out into this to the point when we got backlash in the media, and I thought to myself. Brace yourself, Janine, um, because you're going to have to stand and be accountable um, to some of the um, the bold statements that were being made in the media. Um, and I actually didn't have to say too much at all because uh, we were all on the same page. We all signed up and many of my non-Indigenous nursing colleagues were the ones to stand at the front. Um, yeah. I was super proud of that.
1: <laughs> what, was it, what was some of the criticism that you were attracting?
0: Um, so, in, in a part of the, um, in a part of the, um, Uh, what do you call it, glossary, we actually unpacked what cultural safety was. As I said, you know, it's about knowing thyself, conscious and unconscious attitudes, you know, and really understanding your racial orator. Um, And we also talked about privilege, both, you know, unearned privilege. Um, And so um, that was some of the criticism that we named privilege in, um, and that, uh, you know, they took the the, uh, narrative of privilege and said that nurses actually now, when addressing... Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander clients had to acknowledge their privilege. Um, and, of course, that wasn't what we were saying um, at all. And so something that we were trying to make culturally safe practices um, a part of nursing healthcare delivery actually had the opposite effect where, you know, nurses were... Um, we're doing something that was unsafe um, because this narrative had been had been turned around. So we we had a fair bit of learning, um, you know, out of that. The unintended consequences of where um, media could pick up on on one little word and use that uh, uh, against the the good work we were trying to achieve. Yeah, right. So, so things in this.
1: <laughs> in yeah, yeah. No, no. If, well, it is. It's. It's. You know. It's complex and it's difficult. And I think that humility that you have is to you know I, it, that is obvious that you know like you, you learn don't you oh. a, 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 along the way it's like oh okay i right, won't do that again
0: i think that's an, an essential ingredient that you're prepared to learn um from from mistakes um you know um so you we won't always get this stuff right but it's uh it's the ability to be able to accept that you won't always get it right and to learn from that and we do that in most things in life, right? Yeah. Now, listen. You've moved
1: on to a, another role. You're now the CEO of the Lowitja Institute. What, just exactly, what is that for the audience? Just explain what the the mission of the Loitcher mm-hmm. Institute is.
0: Well, I suppose to be really simplified, if you if you know about the NHMRC, which they commission research out, um, Institute... Lowitchin- which is the
1: National Health and Medical <laughs> <laughs> Research Council for the audience out there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so we're we're like the indigenous, you know, organisation of that. But um very different in that we're an Aboriginal community controlled uh organization. So, you know, we have we create an indigenous presence in the the research space, which is critical. Um and you know, in the past we've largely been locked out and, or othered um in the non indigenous research space. So, you know, othered, said, I love that. <laughs> we, the verb
1: to be othered.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, that, i've already talked about some of it david we've had medical experimentation and many other hum- yeah. hums that in the name of research done to us so our priorities at the the lower institute is to do research that's aboriginal torres strait islander people want done um, it's, you know, usually research that's therefore Indigenous-led by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health researchers. Um, so therefore, we want to grow and strengthen the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health research workforce. Um, and we do this thing called knowledge translation so that our research outcomes lead to policy um, that positively affects the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And we're really interested in measuring the impact of our research as well. So, yeah, that's what we do in a nutshell.
1: But again, um, communications, obviously fundamental and central to your effectiveness. You have, you know, publishing, consulting, research, policy work, advocacy work, perhaps different Mm -hmm. new stakeholders that you're discovering and understanding new and different parts of the ecosystem to be effective, what are, what are the principles that you you bring, again, in this new challenge to help you communicate effectively?
0: Um, I, I don't think they're dissimilar to, to what I've always used because it's worked for me, you know, as a CEO. Um, I think, you know, for Lowitcher Research Institute itself, what we want is research at. Uh, or knowledge translation, that's actually meaningful for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Um, and so if the research is done with them, it's that reciprocity of you give back um, and so that there can be improvements in the way that, you know, they want to carry out their future work. But also we have a responsibility to them to ensure that the research outcomes or recommendations Go up to government, and I suppose in doing this work with you today at Content Group, um, you know it's important that we not just work with health, but we work across the social and cultural determinants of health. So it's about getting the low Your name out there in a very small, you know, podcast to the other areas of easy,
1: <laughs> easy. It's good. we've got a reasonably good
0: audience. <laughs>
1: I'm only teasing you. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, it's a, and, you know, and, and it's strength-based. So I think that's another important part of our research is it's changing the narrative that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander ways of knowing, being and doing have a lot to offer, not just Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, but the rest of Australia as well.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Now, in terms of just deciding what it is that you're doing in mm-hmm. the Lower Strategic Plan, because I imagine that, there are so many areas that you could, you know, research and, and and make progress in because it is a challenge and there is, you know, it's an identified challenge. And we know that Aboriginal uh, and Torres Strait Islander Islander people do not enjoy mm-hmm. uh, the same levels of life expectancy and, and health as non-Indigenous mm-hmm. people. So what what have you identified as your sort of North Star strategic objectives mm-hmm. and how do you make those choices? How do you make the decisions?
0: So our North Star, well, we've obviously got a vision, a purpose. And look, you know, there is some of the decisions that um, – it goes without saying we, we don't get a choice in, which is, you know, what we get funded for. Um, we're pretty lucky in that what we get funded for does essentially line up with our constitution. Um, I think our, our North Star up until a, a couple of months ago was to become an Aboriginal community-controlled organisation because for the 23 years prior to this, we haven't been able to do that. Um, so now, lead, you know, leading on from that, I think, look... I think that we become a, such a fabric of the research um, fraternity, if you like, that we will never be defunded, so we don't have to worry, um, you know, every uh, funding cycle about being refunded again. I think that would be the point at which we can then turn our attention to do um, more of the work that we want to do instead of chasing the, the financial dollar. Um but for us, how we kind of choose what we do from uh, strategic plan to strategic plan is uh, led by our governance structure, which is an all-Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander board. Uh, we founded ourselves on the principle of uh, Lowitcher herself, our, our uh, patron, which is to be brave, you know, a brave organisation uh, that speaks on behalf of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Um, and I suppose, you know, in, in, in saying that, that, um, you know if an, a young Aboriginal person wants to be a, a researcher out there that they really do have the choice of becoming that and there's no um, there's there's support for them to do that and that there's not um, and if someone wants research done in their communities that it's um it's something that's easy to, to access and that 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 happens via the Lower Chi Institute um, but yeah, a lot of our work that we do is determined by our big conference that we have uh every couple of years where we have a conference statement that comes out of that that conference statement then sort of outlines for us from year to from sorry funding round to funding round because we fund Aboriginal researchers to do aboriginal research um that you know, those conference themes then actually decide what our priorities for research um, commissioning is going to be for the, you know, the, the following rounds. So that's kind of, you know, um, a very different way to to setting research agendas and doing research. And then, of course, in amongst all of that, we're doing knowledge translation, impact, advocacy, as you've already said, David so yeah, I don't think there's one north Star. there's there's lots
1: of things. <laughs> <laughs> there's a constellation yeah lots lots to do, but listen um before we go, I just do want to reflect on um Lowitcher, um uh and you know just the, the, the you know the integrity um mm. you know the simplicity, the humility I had the great mm. um privilege of interviewing her a number of times. When she would come to Parliament House um, to represent her views, I was a reporter for the ABC, ABC Radio Current Affairs and she would often come into the studios and speak with such, as I say, integrity, humility, um, simplicity. She was a, a wonderful communicator. Just tell us your reflections on, on her and it really is so appropriate that this institute be named after such a great Australian.
0: Yeah, I suppose my reflections on Lowitch and we've got to cast our minds back, don't we, of what the systems were, were, you know, like back in the 1970s and and 60s. There was no Aboriginal flags (laughs) flying in schools. There was no acknowledgement of country. And here was this intentional legacy building woman (laughs) who came along with this presence. And I suppose I remember her being an Indigenous nurse um, in a leadership role and a woman before her time and she gave us um, well for me anyway she gave you that sense that you could reach these heights she was for me the ceiling breaker Um, and she walked where a lot of Aboriginal women weren't allowed to before and I'm sure um, I can be as bold to say that she would have um, faced sexism and racism but that didn't limit what she did Um, and I'm sure that you know reflecting again on the demise of access sick would have been a stressful and distressing time for her Um, but she did that with such uh, integrity and such a sense of grace Um, and I think you know Aboriginal non-Aboriginal women uh, can you know really um, turn to her as an absolute role model of her time
1: yeah indeed here here no wonderful wonderful lady well Janine Dr. Janine Mohammed, thank you so much for spending some time with us today to give us your insights not only into the challenge that you're facing but the way you're going about it. You've got a a, a big you got a big job um, and uh, I hope that you are successful and I wish you every success and I'm sure and I hope that, you know, the Australian community can rally around the work of the Lowerture Institute and support you and to uh, help you to achieve, you know, that constellation of North Stars that you are going to be working towards over the next, you know, weeks, years and, and months ahead.
0: Yeah, thank you, David. Thanks for having me. And and just in response to that, I, th- I think what I want to leave people with is that there's a lot to be told in Australia's history. Um, There's some terrible, you know, uh, truths that we have to talk about, but I think there's much to celebrate as well. And I hope that, you know, we continue to build on that celebrating. Thank you.
1: Dr. Mohammed. thank you very much. And to you, the audience, thank you once again. This podcast, I have decided earlier this week that... Um, I've mentioned Yarn Australia and I have mentioned the the journey to reconciliation and the importance of that. And again, I'm not going to uh, dwell on um, my own experience, but I do want to encourage you to take the path um, to reconciliation through Yarn Australia and to visit www.yarnaustralia.com.au. And see what that has to offer you because I think it really will reflect a lot of the discussion that we've had today with Dr. Muhammad and the important work that she is leading. So anyway... This podcast is brought to you by Yarn Australia, so go and find out all about it. But, yes, thanks, audience, for coming back once again. Thanks to Dr Muhammad for so, being so articulate uh, in her explanations today and inspiring in the work that she does. But for the moment, this week, this podcast is over, but we will be back at the same time next week. But for the moment, it's bye
0: for now. You've been listening to the GovCom's podcast